Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub. It's Saturday, and I'm in the same room as everyone else. Yay! Yeah. You feel the energy? Do you feel the difference? Yes! It's great. Can you feel the love? <laughs> it's wonderful. Can you feel... I'm all warm and runny inside. Ew. Ew. Gro- Damn. He's not done yet. <laughs> Throw him back in the pan. <laughs> Uh, my name is Michael. I am a chaser, and I had I was served <laughs> it's something warm and running. <laughs> I was served. I got eggs um, sunny side up on a whim, and they were served to me with the whites runny. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not the way it's no, supposed to be. That is very unhygienic. Right? The, the thing is, it's it's probably only thirty seconds underdone. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're like, aren't you supposed to cover yeah, them? That's where then, the salmonella is. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, exactly. You, you said sunny side up, right? Sunny side up. Yeah, and cover them because you need to get the little bit of white that's just around the yolk. The white, yes, that that was the part. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. Uh, I didn't want to die, so I didn't eat them. <laughs> uh, you're not gonna die. <laughs> My dad got salmonella, and he said that was the one time in his life where he actually wanted to die. And if uh, you know my dad, that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can get it from spinach for that matter. My name is Don. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And today I am a, my almond croissant guy sucked. Like my, my almond, I got an almond croissant on the way here. It's the first time I've ever taken a bite out of a pastry and went, this is not worth it. Where'd oh. you get it from? What the hell? Maggie's Donuts. Ooh. Oh, that's it, well, that's your problem. I love, there we are right I love there. almond croissants. But yeah, but not, no, we don't love Maggie's not Donuts. Not from Maggie's? No, it was like hardened bread with like Chris, like it was a loaf of bread that had just been chiseled into the shape of a <laughs> croissant. <laughs> we, t- we took a week old loaf of bread and yeah. whittled it into the shape of a croissant. Seriously. And stuffed it with some almond paste. Is that what croissants are? They're just baguettes that have gotten stale. No, 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 no. That's very disappointed. That's Pompidou. Uh, my name is Dan Oliverio, uh, chubby chaser, author, and public speaker. And um, yeah, I had my oatmeal today with a little bit of molasses. Just, oh. a, just a bit of treacle, sir. You wild maniac. You. I know. Oh, my goodness. goodness. Molasses and oatmeal. That's a new one for me. Well, you can do the honey. You can do some other sweetener, but I chose molasses. I'm, I fr- I'm molasses. from New England. I think I get shot if I don't use maple syrup. Yeah, I've maple done syrup that, but I was getting a little anti. tired of it. Mm. And yeah. um, blackstrap molasses is just... That's just a, that's that's a like slapping way to start. It's, it's like a sl- sl- slapping way to start the morning. I didn't realize we were doing our breakfast, but I had um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a, a bacon egg biscuit from McDonald's. You did. So, in case you haven't guessed, it is bright. It is sunny. It is early in the morning here in sunny Los Angeles. <laughs> I mean, it's not that and early. And if by it's early in the morning you mean like, almost noon. <laughs> <laughs> that is very early in the morning in Hollywood. I'll have you know. That is probably <laughs> accurate. It's. O'clock in New York. Oh, people are getting up. People are getting ready to, to <laughs> wind up their days. If you're driving around Los Angeles and there's plenty of parking, you're still too early. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. So uh, welcome back to the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Thanks for spending another hour with us. Hour or so. Yeah. yeah. Um. I am hugely relieved that we're able to record this back in person again because, uh, as we've all learned over the last year, Zoom sucks very much, and yes. everybody hates it. So. Um, to, to get into it, we have a follow-up on our, our Sarah Pauls and fat suit story. Mm. Yes. Um, so I, yeah, I think, uh, I think this is a good, like a good turnaround because th- that whole thing was like, are we still stuck on fat suits really? And it feels like nobody's actually talking about that issue. And so for Sarah to actually go and say like, Hey, yeah, I, I would do this differently. Um, 
it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, she came away from it saying that she is never going to wear another fat suit. Mm-hmm. And that even at the time, it was like, you know, because she does acknowledge, she says fat phobia is absolutely real, mm-hmm. that this is a legit, you know, this there is a thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had the news story open on my phone and something started playing. <laughs> Well, we heard it, no doubt. <laughs> you tell me when I may continue. You can continue. <laughs> you may always continue. <laughs> and often do. Uh, but, you know, she brings up this interesting point. Like, she's offered the role. She says, I assume they came to me because, you know, there was some other reason to cast. Like, there's other reasons to cast an actor besides do they look like the person. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, basically, should I have said no? Mm-hmm. And I agree with her that it's not her job to say no. That is not the actor's job to refuse work because the producer is making a mistake. I don't know. I I understand the argument, but I've been in this I've been in this fight for Asian American representation for a really long time. And there comes a point where like, guess what? You knew the role was Asian and you're white, and you took the part. Yeah. It's kind of on you. But if you refused it, they're just going to go to the next white guy, their second choice who's white. Yeah, but then you wouldn't have been complicit. Like, I blame Melania Trump, too. Like, she was complicit. She stood next to him. She gave him cover. No, I get that. So when you take the role that could have gone for a minority person, you're giving cover to the producers who decided Again, I I think it's like blaming the person who's getting the lower wage for doing the right thing. Because, you know, the producer is going to make a bazillion dollars out of this, no matter what. And it's their mistake. And it's not the person getting less amount of money. Because, yes, if it's a superstar, and, you know, at this point in her career, Sarah Paulson's probably, you know, pulling down some chunk of change. But if it's it's just the person, I mean... But I think Sarah Paulson, especially given the fact that it's Ryan Murphy... If she went to Ryan Murphy and she's like, Ryan, you know, I love that you considered for me for this part, but I really think you should cast a fat actress. And I think she has the power. She does. To be able to shift that. I think it's great that she came forward after the fact, but I think it's like, you know, I, when I saw this, I, I retweeted and I tagged Sarah Wilson like, Hey, great. How about you throw some money Nafa's way as a, Mm -hmm. an act of good faith? Cause like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, you know, we, we've seen this a lot where, you know, actors have taken a role that maybe they shouldn't have. There's been blowback and then they come forward afterwards saying, you know, okay, I shouldn't have done this. And like, that's, yeah, I just, I really have trouble yeah. putting this on the actor. They are the lowest rung of the ladder, but they're still part of the ladder. They're you the lowest. You can't, yes, but, but why, is it their, why is it their responsibility when they are the bottom and they're just the most visible and they're just going to get the most but shit I think for that, it? I think that because they're the most visible, visible they're sorry. And to frame it this way with Sarah Paulson, with her history with Ryan Murphy, that I think it's not quite, uh, she's not quite the bottom. No, but she, but she's, as an she's actor, his primary go-to since Jessica Tandy. But again, mm-hmm. the position of an actor in a film or a television series is pretty darn low. Unless you're the producer as well. You don't have a lot of, you don't have, you don't have a lot of say you don't get to, I mean, you don't even get to say how you're represented. Cause you're not in charge of the editing. You're not in charge of the, of so much, but more to the point again, I, I think it's equivalent to getting mad at the person you know, getting mad at the at the server who serves you egg, your eggs that you don't like when, you know, they didn't make the eggs. I can't agree with you on that one because, again, we're not talking about Joe Blow off the street who no one's ever heard of. We're talking about a star level player who does have the ability to steer productions, who In, does have the ability to do creative Maybe input. to some degree, you know? but they're not steering the ship. They're just not. They are choosing to be the ship. 
You know? Yeah, I mean, I think what what Don's getting at is that there's a there's a reason that people like Sarah Paulson keep getting cast in big roles as opposed to somebody who looks like Sarah Paulson that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Like she is a name unto herself and she's going to draw people into that show, which gives her a certain Absolutely. amount of power. But to then expect her to turn down work to correct producing problems. Uh, I agree with you that it is not yeah. just on her. Like, but, 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 yeah. but that's what we're saying. No, 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 we're saying, it's, we're saying there, there are several people culpable. And I will say, like, to Trevor's point about her saying it after the fact, she does say in the article on Huffington Post that she wasn't aware of the issue before she accepted the role. And she sort of learned about it afterwards. Um, and, and I don't know, is that, that, you know, like, what does that really mean? But I think it's great. I think that the fact that she speaks very candidly about it mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. important. Like, she doesn't dance around it at all. No, like, she, she says... I didn't realize this was an issue. It's a big deal, and um, I'll never do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so there, that's there's validity to that. I I do tend to agree. Like, you know, if if yes, actors are for sure low men on the totem pole most of the time. But more and more these days, you're not getting unknown actors cast into leading parts. You're having whatever name you can get to play this role, which is why we get a lot of actors in fat suits because you want a name attached to it. And Mm -hmm. so then you cram them into a fat suit. And I think if those actors spoke in private to the producers more often about it, I think that could start having some, some measurable change. I think even just like publicly like Sarah Paulson did. And I think even if, right. I mean, it's hard to say because whatever there's non-disclosure agreements, whatever, but if Sarah Paulson you know, was approached again to play, I don't know, a, a role where she's going to be in a fat suit. If she turned it down and could, I, I think there could, there's so many opportunities to speak on these things. Yeah. So the reason I say privately is because most of the time, the reason most actors don't talk about any of these kinds of issues, whether it's this or a number of things mm-hmm. is because they will get blacklisted. Absolutely. Yes. Like you, your career will be torched and almost nobody's above that. And so I think if you're an actor and you have some level of clout, having the private conversation is the least you can do. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to actually make yourself an activist, then yeah, go and speak publicly about it too. Um, If it's before the process, if it's like, oh, they Mm -hmm. tried to cast me and I said no, and this is why, and this is why it's important. Great. But I I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect an actor to do that necessarily. I I come back to Chicky Boo, who was cast in uh, Aloha as a half Asian character. I can't remember her name. Emily. Oh, Emma, uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone. Yeah. Emma Stone got cast as a half Asian character in Aloha. Mm. Chick is not Mm. half Asian, even a little (laughs) bit. They had to throw the monologue in there. And then her reaction afterwards was very blase. I don't really remember her ever doing a mea culpa or anything. And yes, again, she wasn't solely to blame, but she's Emma goddamn stone. She's selecting roles and she took a role from another actress that could have come up in the ranks. And the producers are saying, well, there was no one else. <laughs> Which is there, was, bullshit. there was no one else that, you know, anyone could have. Yeah. You know. Well, and you know what? After not look, not that this should be the process. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, great. Like, we're doing it right now. But like after movies like Crazy Rich Asians and Shang-Chi, anybody or Shang-Chi? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh right. okay. Well, you know, okay. Okay. we'll talk about this at some point, but uh, yes. So we're making 
some progress as far as just having yeah. people get, like raising awareness for the fact that like, oh, you know, hey, idiot producer, there are stars that aren't white people. Yeah. There are talented yeah. people like, but this I is, love Aquafina. Can I just say oh that? God, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, and, and, God. and just as this, okay, we're not even going to go, we're not going to go into Shang-Chi. I want to go into Shang-Chi. Yeah. We're not going to Shang-Chi. Um, there is an evolution to all of these things. Like minority theater, minority movie history is one of my weird like things that I love. Um, and as much as I always focus on the, you know, the, the meaning and content and themes of minority, uh, cinema, it, it, there is another arc outside of that growth of just getting the minorities into the, the project to begin with. Right. So like the first 20, 30, 40 years of Hollywood, you had, you had a couple Asian American actors and then they were replaced by anyone dark skinned they could find. Mm -hmm. And you never saw an Asian person in anything until like the eighties or nineties. And then it was, what was it? Uh, uh, what's a happening? Hot stuff. That, oh, that, that oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, pretty, in pink. pretty in pink and all that kind of crap. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting well, off I mean, my soapbox. I mean, it, the story is apropos because it talks about, you know, marginalized people in, in this case theater. I don't, this, I don't know if you know the story down of uh, how Miss Saigon came to New York. Uh, with Jonathan Price, yeah, yeah, and there I was had a, issues with that. There was well, so did so did Actors yeah. Equity. There was a major push mm -hmm. in Actors Equity, the Actors Union for stage, that Jonathan Price not come in and play. A, I believe it's a half Asian character. Yeah, half Asian. And you know he's going to get the eye makeup treatment and all that stuff. And the Actors Union um, pushed back and said, "No, we are not going to let you do that." And Cameron McIntosh, the producer said, okay, then I won't open my show in New York. I'll just open it in these other 25 cities. Mm -hmm. And you are going to unemploy the 25 actors, the 25 Asian actors I would have put in the course. And, Jesus. and, and equity capitulated mm -hmm. because economically it meant 25 roles mm -hmm. for Asian actors. And they weren't going to, they were going to die. They were not going to die on that hill. Hmm. But that's why Jonathan Price got that role in New York. Yep. And that, that very much is on the, I mean, as you pointed out, that's the producer. Yeah. Now should Jonathan mm -hmm. Price have turned it down? They, they would have gone to the next white guy. Probably. Absolutely. Yeah. And he might've even been contractually obligated to come well, over. The understudy from, from was Asian. The guy who replaced him was Asian. Yeah. Like the fact that that push happened did mean that there were roles eventually for Asian people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So again, that's what we're talking about. It's yeah. the matter of phasing out the, I can't believe it's not Asian to <laughs> eventually replacing it with actual Asian, hundred percent real Asian. Yeah. No, I get you. Or 50% more often. Yeah. yeah. And we're just making the same case uh, for fat people that, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. there are, there are plenty, there are very, there are some very well-known. It's another actors. step in the evolution. I remember in New York, I went to see something called uh, it was something, a play written by this guy, Nikki Silver, who I can't stand. Oh yeah. And the first role, the first thing I saw by him, there was a character in it that was so offensive that it was played by a thin guy in a fat suit, not because there was any transformation on stage. They couldn't find a fat person willing to play that bullshit, I guess. Uh, uh, it was or they don't know any fat people. They don't know any fat actors, so yeah. there are no fat actors to cast. All right. That's I'm, usually what happens. Getting off my soapbox again. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. I, just, I think where we disagree is like, does the actor have to take this on themselves because it will be themselves? I, again, like I said, I, I just come back to, if it's Joe Blow off the street who has no other work coming in, mm -hmm. I can't blame them at all. I, they need to eat. But Sarah Paulson's not worried about putting food on the table. That's probably true. You know? Anyway. What um, else have we got? <laughs> uh, That's the show, folks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, 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 no. Um, so there was something in the news recently. Um, an issue 
on an American, Air, uh, sorry, an Alaskan Airlines flight. Oh yeah, this. Uh, a flight attendant. Another reason to hate Alaska. Asked a plus size rapper and stylist, Raylan Howard. So Raylan Howard um, was wearing this. It in the article it's described as a crop top. I would call it like an athletic top, and it was part of a whole kind of ensemble. Um, and the flight attendant. No, there's there's two different garments there. She was wearing uh, a sports bra, which is, is what the but it's sp- not really a sports. Wait, 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 wait. And then when the flight attendant said, you can't wear that, yeah. she put on a crop top. Yes. And then the flight attendant says, you still can't wear that, called security. Yeah. I Yeah, so my confusion was what the what the initial garment was, but I don't think that really even matters because mm. Ray then put on, she put exactly. something on. Yes. She's yes. like, okay, I will put something on. She put a shirt on. Um, but it still exposed her fat still, belly. Yeah, yes. there was still like a small amount of her belly that was exposed because I, I guess it was a crop top, and that's that wasn't okay to the flight attendant either. Yes, to the point that she got ejected from the airplane and pulled into questioning by the police. Mm-hmm. Now, the TikTok that she posts of the of that questioning, I thought, I mean, I thought they were. They were just questioning her. They weren't. They were just making sure there's no crime committed, like because they don't know what happened. Yeah, the mm. the agent literally says that we're just trying to see if there's a crime that's been yeah. committed, and it looks like there hasn't. Been. Yeah, he <laughs> says like I don't think there has been. So like that video is not necessarily like that's just recapping an incident. It's not the incident yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, and then Alaska Airlines had an interesting response, and I think you know this has happened on every airline. If you want to see fat oppression, you can find an example from any airline because it's not the airline. It's some horrible fat phobe, some some anti-fat person who's just having a shit fit about mm-hmm. someone being fat. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sometimes it happens on Alaska. Sometimes it happens on Southwest. Sometimes it happens on American. Sometimes it happens on Delta. But, you know, what Alaska did in response after they figured out what happened at corporate level, they're like, holy shit, this went badly. They refunded all, they refunded the ticket. They refunded the ticket of her companion. They gave her discounted, discounted rates for a future flight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not, not, understandably, she said, sorry, no, never flying Alaska yeah, again. Yeah, I, I would too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you, it's like, you can't make up for that. Do you blame, and this is, this is kind of hearkening back to the other story, Don, where it's like, okay, this was a point of service. Like, you know, for, for a major corporation, every single interaction with the public is the corporation interacting with the public. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. and major corporations realize this. On the other hand, they cannot control, you know, 10,000 employees every moment. Mm-hmm. And so I think they wanted to do the right thing. And this particular employee really fucked up. Yeah. And so what... It just leads me to think about like, so to what extent do you hold the corporation responsible for this one point of service? The person I want to hear interviewed about this is the flight flight attendant. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know what was going through their head. I mean, we had a terrible interaction that time in Austin with that flight. Oh yeah. With that gate agent. We had a terrible interaction, but I never blame Southwest for it. No. Well, and I think just right now, I, we don't know what was going on with the flight attendant. We do know that flight attendants are just kind of like right now, overworked and facing just a lot of abuse, abuse in general. So I, as I was reading this, I was thinking about like how much of that was just like carryover, carryover from that. Um, But I mean, I've also seen, I don't know if you remember this. I can't remember where you were going. There was, we were on a Southwest flight and there was a guy and he snapped at a flight attendant and yelled at her and she immediately kicked him off the plane. And it was like, he was going to a funeral and she's like, sorry, like you just know you're not going, you're not getting on this plane. 
Mm-hmm. Was this a, was it a flight attendant or the gate agent? It was a flight attendant because it was on the plane, and then, I mean, I we witnessed him kind of getting kicked off and yeah, them removing his bags and everything. I got to say, right now, I'm willing to give flight t- flight attendants a lot more leeway than I would in more peaceful times. Yeah, I mean, it's. You know, I I saw that flight attendant uh, duct taping an unruly person. No, 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 no. That was not a flight attendant. I thought it was a flight attendant. That was the passengers. (laughs) Well, then why why were they issuing? Because then then some comedian got on TikTok and pretended to be the flight attendant who had done that. It created a whole lot of confusion. Oh, okay. But no, that was a passenger solution. (laughs) Well, they apparently... uh, the airline issued a message to all of their employees encouraging them not to duct tape. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? I was cheering. I was totally yeah, behind yeah, that person yeah. being duct taped down. Yeah. You know? But I, I think in this particular case, you know, this wasn't, I have trouble believing that the flight attendant was at a level of stress so high that a fat belly just became intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the last straw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> gotta- I, my stance is like, on the one hand, I would never ever want to sit on a plane with half my body just exposed just because that's how I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable. But I think that is not indecent. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a comfort issue for me. Like I, I think you should, like if a skinny person can do that without offending people, so should a fat person be able to. I just get cold up there. Yeah. Well, and I will say that on my flight last night, I was uh, very warm. I was overheated. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever been too cold on a plane. <laughs> really? Oh, oh my I God, get, never. I get so cold on those Oh, things. not I, not I. It depends. Um, well, yeah. So if you, you're getting harassed by a flight attendant, just take a pencil and there's a little a little spot behind their ear and you stick in the tip of the pencil just and reset. it'll reboot them. Yeah. It takes a minute, but it's worth it. Yeah. Much faster service, too. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is a great segue into... It's Fat Watch! Yay! 2021! We're here. We're fat. <laughs> Let's get on to it. <laughs> um, so I saw this in Good Housekeeping, which Good Housekeeping has been, like, really on it. Um, they There's some stuff that we haven't shared that they've um, been posting online. They're doing a lot of um, fat activism, which is, like, Yay, good housekeeping. Well, it's funny because they're a, they're a magazine whose target audience is women and fat is a feminist issue. So yeah, it's about goddamn time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and this is from Virgie Tover um, and it's called the Diet Culture Diaries, unpacking two weeks worth of anti-fat messaging. This was fascinating. Yes. Uh-huh. And basically what uh, Virgie did was anytime she encountered like we talked about getting slimed in a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was like 10 episodes ago. I don't know. Um, where basically like she is confronted with diet culture or anti-fat bias and kind of would break down like, like suddenly, like, yeah, like unexpectedly, um, like fat jump scare. Cue <laughs> <laughs> that, cue that jump scare. Celery. <laughs> um, it's not as good when I hit the right cue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically she would break down, okay, what is this? How did it land? How did I recover? And like, how did that help me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what struck me is that she, you know, she starts the diary on, you know, a particular day in, I think like a Saturday morning in May. Mm-hmm. And by Saturday night, she's got six entries. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, come on, really? And you start reading through it. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that too. Oh, I think, yeah. I think one of the most valuable things for me reading it was, 
I mean, besides the actual advice and, and what you can take away from how she handled these things was just recognizing how many different things are these kinds of microaggressions or yeah. just straight up aggressions. Like, mm-hmm. the, like you go through life and I think we all have a way of like filtering out yeah. stuff that we just don't want to have to deal with, but it's still there. Or we filter still- it out because it's just so normal. It, right. It, it's, it makes it's, the yeah. Chinese water torture of it very apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's just like any one of those things is nothing. Why don't you mm-hmm. give some examples? Yeah. I'm sure people are dying. Um, so I, this was one of my favorite ones. Um, she talked about going to a little free library mm. in her neighborhood and she opens it up. And the first thing she sees is a book called the thin within <laughs> how to eat and live like a thin person. Yeah. Like this is how thin people eat. So if uh-huh. you eat this way, you'll be thin. Um, and, and doesn't everybody want that? <laughs> uh, and just kind of, she talked about um, immediately, like it just kind of activating all this stuff in her brain, about like food restriction and kind of trauma with that. Um, and what she did with the book was she took it <laughs> with the intent to um, Burn it. cut it up and make <laughs> it into a collage and take the word, like do a word collage with it. And, and make it uh, body positive and for affirmations. Mm. Yeah. That's I, cool. The only thing that bothered me about it when I read it first was I missed the fact that it was a free library and I thought mm-hmm. it was a bookstore. And I was like, no, oh. don't pay for that. <laughs> but knowing that it was free and she could just walk out with it. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Take that shit and make it into something good. But what if, but what if, you know, someone needs a diet book? They won't have one. No, there's <laughs> 75,000 others. That per person. Just throw a rock. You'll find one. Exactly. I really like the, like the way she frames it. Um, she says healing doesn't always have to feel hard. It can be totally unexpected and fun. Uh, we all have a creative side, so why not put something, why not put it to use? And that's such a, I don't know. It's just such a cool way to look at something where you're not just, you know, working through your, like what of your internal monologue is about like, okay, I'm going to work through this. Like the, one of the first ones she mentions is like seeing a mannequin with abs and like, walks by it in the window and, and has her reaction. And then on the way back from where she was going, then she kind of has her sort of internal monologue about how to deal with that. But sometimes you can actually move it one step further and make, and, and do something positive with it. Like she does with her little, her scrapbook idea. I, I, the particular example that I've, I've seen so many times again, being in the public speaking world is she's taking this creativity course, right? And so she signed up for this creativity course and she's like, this is going to be freeing and liberating. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the last place you would see uh, anti-fat bias lurking would be like a creativity course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the speaker is talking. And again, maybe I relate to this more as a public speaker, but the, you know, the speaker is talking and gives an example of like how, you know, creativity is something that you kind of need to do every day. It's like a discipline. Like when you start a diet, <laughs> and it's and, and then going on to say like day, that first day mm-hmm. when you start a diet, that's going to give how the rest of the diet yeah. is going to go. Success mm-hmm. or failure, success or failure. Yeah. Well, guess how most diets go. <laughs> and so it's like, oh my god. And I've actually been in so many presentations and rooms where people are they're using diet culture as this sort of ubiquitous uh, sink or swim metaphor. Mm-hmm. about how, yes, we should run our lives that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like everybody can relate to this because, you know, everybody's, everybody has been trying to lose weight forever. Mm-hmm. And of course you fail, but that's not, that's because you don't have the right tools. Right. And like, can you please shoot them now? <laughs> <laughs> like that is, it doesn't belong in your speech. It's a horrible example. It perpetuates very harmful stereotypes and assumptions. Like, stop it. Well, and please just stop it. As a creative type who has spent, I don't know, the last 10 years of my life working on ways to 
identify how I can work and think best in my own creative environment, the, the number of like mental treadmills and traps and pitfalls that most sort of primarily creative types deal with is very similar to the kind of shit that you deal with in something like a diet where mm. you are drawn into it because of all of these sort of machinations in your head and influences and things that are forcing you to be and think and do things a certain way that you don't necessarily like, that doesn't make you feel good, that makes you feel trapped or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. And so to equate these two things as a good thing <laughs> yeah. is just fucking yeah. stupid to me. That's It's just stupid. Well, and it's carried out with the best of intentions because what I was saying before, it's the invisibility of it. Mm. You know, we just expect that of course, Everyone wants to lose weight. That's a universal. Mm -hmm. And everybody would be a better person if they were a thinner person. That's just a universal. Mm -hmm. And it coming at it from that standpoint, you, you start to look at like, what the hell are you telling people? Yeah. Idiotic is what it is. Yeah. <sighs> but check it out. But I, so the, yeah, I guess the takeaway is that she wraps up each of these moments with how, like how she turned it, how she flipped mm -hmm. it first. Yeah. And that's really, I think the goal of the article is one, you see it two, what was the impact and three, how did you flip it? Mm-hmm. I was almost thinking of doing this just to like, I mean, I feel like right now most of it would be from like TV and social media. And I think that would be uh, a lot, an especially difficult version <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it is, I, I think it is a useful tool. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know if you try this out, let us know. Yeah. Even if you just do it for a day, like I think, mm -hmm. I think that could be pretty eye-opening and interesting. So to be specific, it's it's actually going about your day and sort of noting when you run into diet culture. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's three steps. It's it's identifying when you come across something. It's internalizing and thinking about how does this hit you? Like yeah. what is what are you feeling and reacting to in this moment? And then the third step is the sort of the healing process of like, how do you flip this for yourself? How do you turn how it around? How could I transform this experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm good at steps one and two. It's number three that bites Well, and I should say that it's not always, that third step for her is not always, like, like for example, when she sees the six-pack mannequin, mm -hmm. you know, she's not going to rip the store apart. She's like, you know, I would look good in that. Yeah, it can be. I would be... look good in that, and I would rock that, but I'm not going to buy it in your store. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and But on in other occasions, she's like, I'm going to write a sternly worded letter. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not always about, how to how to take it how to yeah. how yeah. to turn the other cheek i think there's a lot of power in saying to yourself and maybe even say it out loud i look really fucking good and and i love that about myself like i look sexy as hell mm -hmm. and and i think that's kind of what she was doing in that moment it's like you know what i could wear any of these things and look amazing and i think that was a simple way of recontextualizing that cuz they ultimately like who gives a shit about a mannequin it's just yeah. The mannequin had six pack abs. Like really, that's what we're going for. Mm -hmm. I'm, I am reminded of uh, going, I, I go to out of the closet, which is sort of a uh, thrift store here in mm -hmm. LA. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was near Halloween. They had a display in front that was showing costumes uh, made of all sort of like spangly drag queen stuff that had been donated. And a lot of it was spandex. And down at the bottom, there was a big handwritten sign saying, remember, Spandex is a right, not a privilege. Ooh. Right. And so the day I saw it, I just got my stuff and I left and it just kept sort of nagging at me like this. That sucks. Like mm -hmm. I'm being ambushed by a Halloween display. And then I went back the next day. I was ready to like just lay into the manager and the display was still up, but the sign was gone. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So 
I didn't say anything at that point. And there was just a fire the next day. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I would have done? Came out of nowhere. I think what I would have done is, and not that you should do what I do, but like what I would have done is I would have actually gone in to thank the manager for getting that offensive thing out of the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably what I should have done. <sighs> I did not. God, that's... Shall because, we move on to well, our because main Because that topic. is just so offensive. Yeah. <laughs> that is really gross. If, if it sticks with me, it's probably oh, really That's an exact example. Yeah. That's like a perfect example of yeah. what she's talking about. Yeah. Medical, though. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And there's plenty of them. Yeah, check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, it will make you feel good, I think. Because yes. um, you'll relate, and then she, she always has a way to flip it. And they're in different methods, too. Like, some of them are funny and quirky. Some of mm-hmm. them are creative and interesting. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Buckle up, people. Yeah. Are you feeling it? Where are you? <laughs> well, we're going. I take my hand. We're going. <laughs> We're going somewhere. I'm taking my chubby little hand. (laughs) um, So I saw this uh, TikTok last week and I almost included it in our discussion with Honey Boo Boo because it was of uh, former child star Josh Peck. um, Of Drake and Josh. Of Drake and Josh. Mm -hmm. um, No, not him. The other one. (laughs) And it was a TikTok and we'll put it in here. Well, I wake up in the morning and I see a meme. It's a picture of me when I weighed 315 and I scream from the top of my lungs. Can we just move on? Please. He's reflecting on the, that there's a lot of memes of him as Josh from Drake and Josh. Um, I, I mean, I see these memes everywhere, but he's fat in them because... He is a formerly fat person. Yeah, he's really offended that what's blowing up is all these pics of him as a fat kid. And he has a career well beyond that. I think he's in a new TV show on, is it Netflix? Uh, uh, Amazon, no, uh, Disney Plus. He's in the reboot of Turner and Hooch. Yeah, in the series. Mm -hmm. So he's got a lot of other stuff going on. And he's like, can we please move on from this meme of me as a 315 pound fat kid? Mm -hmm. And I get it because on, on on the one hand, uh, I think a lot of creative types, myself included, have been <laughs> some of our most famous stuff is some of the stuff that like it either wasn't our best work or we're certainly not the proudest of it. But like that's what we're known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, or on the other hand, uh, you know, he just wants to move on like that's not who I am anymore. Mm-hmm. Hello. It's like 20 years later. But it's also but he's also complaining about being. But but I think what you can see in the video is that he's really unhappy about. I was an unhappy fat kid and that's not who I am anymore. And more than that, I think Trevor pointed this out and I, I mean, I haven't dug into it as much as he has, but the memes are not about him being fat. No, they're no, about not the at all. Show. No, they're, the is, show. they're about I his think most recognizable character. Just incidental in that that's who he was at the time. And so I, uh, I don't think I have ever seen a fat phobic meme of his character in that show, which I am always, whenever I see the, you know, the image before I read anything with it, I'm always like, oh, like I'm always just bracing for it because I'm just kind of waiting for it. And I haven't encountered that yet. Mm-hmm. So the I, thing that- I get what he's talking about, though, it's sort of like every time you visit your mom and she keeps pulling out the same photos of you as that awkward teenager. Yep, exactly. Like you still see me that way. Stop seeing me that way. Mm-hmm. Look at the person that's in front of you now. And I get that, you know, he's a celebrity. He's he's never going to be in front of them that way. This is the way he gets yep. to be seen. What's- but. But what I find weird about that is also, so I, I didn't see, this was kind of compiled in this uh, Yahoo article. Um, he also did like a video on YouTube, like eating like I did when I was 300 pounds. Yeah, it's which long is too. Weird. It's very, he his making, it's like 15 minutes long. And it is just this extended run of jokes about how, 
horrible his eating habits were when he was a 315 pound kid. And, th- and that kind of leads to what I was going to say, which is like, yes, he's trying, he's saying like, please focus on, on who I am now and who, not who I was then. But the people who are talking about him when he was on Drake and Josh are people who admired him, who looked up to him. Yeah. And yeah. Who, have, who have warm feelings about that time in their life and their time watching him. Right. And mm-hmm. so they're all saying like, we loved you in this show. And he's saying, basically, don't look at me. I was fat. And mm-hmm. that's, if any of them, I'm not saying those people are all fat kids, but if any of them were, that could be particularly like hurtful and harmful in a way that doesn't need to be like, all he really needs to say is like, Hey, like, I'm glad you love Drake and Josh. Look at this other thing I'm doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you love Drake and Josh, watch but Turner he's and exactly. out, Yeah, <laughs> He's putting out all of this, like really kind well, of fat phobic. Because he hasn't made friends with who that kid was. Yes. He is, yeah. he is trying to ditch that kid, trying to put that kid in the basement, lock the door, lose the key. I mean, the he one of the TikToks I he has. I fear your is parenting like, skills. <laughs> I really do. One, I had duplicate keys made. He got this, out. This isn't the first time we've seen. Like we, when we started talking about this um, in our, our podcast call, this isn't the first time we've seen this. No, with right. uh, fat kid actors, especially I think like you know male fat kid actors. And um, in the this Yahoo piece um, about this TikTok and uh, Josh Breck and all this other stuff. Um, Virgie Tover actually talks about kind of toxic masculinity and its relation to um, fat acceptance in this kind of vacuum. And I think it is this weird space where um, I've had, it's kind of come up a lot lately. Uh, Dan and I were talking about it the other night at dinner with some friends, um, how if you are a cis white straight male and you are fat, that is your first form of marginalization you have faced. And very frequently there isn't, cis straight white men are not equipped to deal with this. They don't, they have not been marginalized before mm-hmm. and it is kind of this new thing. And in the, when you are in just kind of drenched in this toxic masculinity, it makes it worse. Right. Yeah. And it, 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 it is frequently not talked about. It's, yeah. it's just sort of, because that, I think that's the, I mean, toxic masculinity is its own thing, but I think just in the idea of being masculine in giant air quotes, it is very much about like, you know, being the sort of the rock standing on your own, not talking about your feelings. Stoicism. Stoicism. It's it's an, it just an enormous part. So yeah, you don't get to talk about it. You don't get to heal from it. It shouldn't have bothered you in the first place. Even to yourself. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to be thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, that shouldn't bother you. No, that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm fine with that. But I think the other part of it that's at one point, less obvious and more obvious is that you're not allowed to be, if you're fat, you're also seen as less masculine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which is apparent. So we, was, we were looking at other examples of this. And um, so I, I want recently watched uh, heavyweights, which is a movie from the nineties comedy from the nineties about basically a, a fat camp where all of the kids that go to the fat camp are basically just going and having a fun fat camp time. Like there's no weight loss involved. And then it gets taken over by a weight loss, weight loss fitness freak who is played by Ben Stiller. It's basically the exact same part he plays in dodgeball, except like the prequel basically. (laughs) Um, And the movie's actually pretty like for the nineties, it's weirdly progressive. And Mm -hmm. I was shocked. I'd never heard of it. I wish I had seen it as a kid. Um, But the point is that the lead in that movie, the kid, um, who was a who was fat? Uh, the guy playing him, Aaron Schwartz, uh, has since then like he's took a break from acting. He's grown up, of course, 
um, and he is now, you know, according to Bro Bible, jacked. Um, oh, he is. I mean, he he, he is, is very. I'm not. I'm not saying he's not jacked. I'm just saying like that terminology is such a Bro Bible thing. <laughs> yeah. like, that's just that's this. It is says a lot about the writer to use. The I, word I'm choice. sorry, you could find that in a lot of magazines. But yes, yes, it's very. My point is like that is endemic to toxic masculinity. <laughs> Absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That kind of like yeah, like literally in this interview, he the guy the interviewer is like. Like you're jacked, bro. Like yeah, yeah. That's, the t- like, that's how it comes across. You're jacked, bro, but no homo. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and he talks about the reason, like literally the first thing he says about why he decided to lose weight when he was 16 was because he wanted to get laid. Yep. That was the first answer. And he, he doesn't even really have a cohesive thought after that. Like he doesn't really put a lot of particularly insightful things together about why he lost weight. It's, it just starts with, well, I wanted to get laid. Well, but I think that's it. That's kind of encapsulates the whole thing because as I said, you know, uh, fat boys are not seen as masculine and they, a lot for a lot of it, it's, I don't want to spend my life being a second class citizen. So I'm going to lose weight and I'd like to be at the top of the food chain, not the bottom of the food chain. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get really ripped and jacked or muscular, whatever. And here's the, here's the kicker for me. He was getting roles as a fat kid. He was getting work in the acting community being fat. So this was not because so many people think, oh, you'll never act again if you gain weight or, mm-hmm. or a lot of, I know, I know a lot of gainers who are actors talk to me about like, well, if I gain weight, I'll never have a career. And I'm like, oh, so not true. Yeah. Think about all the fat actors there are, uh, especially in film, but he's getting work as a fat actor, but he doesn't want to be a second class citizen. He doesn't want to be second-class sexual citizen. It's, uh, we talked about this a little bit on the call. It's Jennifer Grey's nose, right? Jennifer Grey was the actress from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She was Mm -hmm. a baby in Dirty Dancing. Um, But she was beautiful, young, very talented, um, but she had a slightly larger nose. And I guess she was super uh, uh, self-confident, conscious about it. Went out, she got a nose job after she got famous, and it famously killed her career. Because suddenly she was just pretty. She was just right? another pretty girl. She was in just another pretty. Although person. we should say, Aaron Schwartz is getting work. He's gotten a lot of work on soaps. He gets a lot of work on. I mean, maybe not a list movies, but you know, he's having a film career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, but it's it's a pressure to be perfect takes away the thing that made you special and recognizable. Yes, and I think you know? I I don't know I don't know if he would have had a he certainly would have had a different film career if he'd stayed fat. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would have been better. I'm not sure what better means, but he certainly, I mean, ask uh, Jonah Hill <laughs> right. whether staying mm-hmm. fat was a good right. idea. You know, I don't know. Um, well, the funny different thing people, is, different careers. The way he puts it in his interview is he's, he says like, he was getting so much work as the fat kid actor that when he made the intentional choice to step away, he, he did two things simultaneously. He stepped away from his acting career and he started losing weight. On mm-hmm. purpose and trying to get fit, mm-hmm. um, fit in quotes. Um, and he looks at that as like, yes, I probably could be, could have been making a lot more money if I had kept acting and taking those roles. And then he invokes health. Um, and I decided to get healthy instead. Yeah, he does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is very much wrapped up into the whole, like you're fit, you're jacked and you know, you're so healthy now. And like they say <laughs> some like weird culty language of like engaging with your, you know, fitness journey or some shit like oh, that. My God. But like he, he also said something that kind of rang true to me, which is that he literally left 
the industry. Like he, he physically went to a different country mm -hmm. for a while. And that I, every time I leave LA for whatever trip I'm going on, uh, I immediately, my self image immediately improves. <laughs> um, wow. yeah, I, no, I've had, I've had a lot of a gays <laughs> tell me about this. Yeah. No, it's, it's very common. Uh, in both directions. So you have guys who, you know, completely, you know, not fat, just normal guys come to West Hollywood and they're like, I'm not sure if I should go to West Hollywood. I'm, maybe they'll take away my gay card because <laughs> they, they feel like they can't compete in that kind of environment. Yeah. And then there's also that thing of, I know, and this is even true between LA and New York. So both are meccas for hot people. Like, you know, there's the hot New Yorker, there's the hot LA guy, whatever. But LA is so much more of a body culture and a celebrity yeah. culture. Mm -hmm. So I've had a lot of A-gays tell me that in New York, they will get cruised. In New York, they will get picked up. But in LA, you know, as, as the movie says, L West Hollywood is a city of tens looking for an 11. Mm -hmm. And there's also that celebrity thing of like, when you see a celebrity, the least cool thing you can do is notice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. like what you're supposed to do in LA when you see a celebrity is you're gonna you're supposed to pretend like they're just you know they're just the garbage man. Yeah, and they're usually wearing a baseball cap and yeah. sunglasses and they're trying to look like the garbage man. You know? It's <laughs> the LA code. <laughs> it's the LA code. You never, never, never notice a celebrity. And so what people are saying to me is that it also applies to the cruising in LA, where like this totally hot guy will get zero attention because it's not cool to give a celebrity attention. Mm. I interesting. <laughs> I just remember like this still ugh, this still sits in my my subconscious. I when the first couple of years I lived out here, uh my dating life felt like there are several different instances where not just strangers, but people in my friend group in that sort of gay West Hollywood world, if I was dating somebody, made the joke of oh well you know, I was 21 when I moved out here and I turned 22 and it was like, oh, well, you're going to get traded in for a younger model <laughs> several times, several times. And like these were these were friends in quote, like this was not just like, you know, some random, you know, club queen who said like so like that is the culture that I encountered. And if he is feeling better about himself when he leaves that world, I get that. Like, I totally get there. That. Yeah, there's. There's a pressure here that, I mean, you can say it's self-imposed. You can say it's external. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Trevor, do you feel a difference? Don, do you feel a difference? I feel like uh, because of my body type, I don't think I've ever been invited into the toxic masculinity crowd. Mm -hmm. yeah. right? I'm by default kind of sexless to mainstream people, I think. I think. Less so to women. Women, mm. I think it's not, I think they sexualize, they feel free to sexualize me a little bit because I'm safe because I'm gay. Right. So I feel like they treat me a little bit more as a sexual being than most gay guys do. I don't know. I mean, I know that. So this was like early on when I was in, I moved to LA. I am obviously um, out of the norm in West Hollywood. <laughs> But I feel like because of that, it's almost kind of like within the, I don't know, the, the chasers that it is the experience of like the, the a gays in New York when they're in New York of like, there was a time I saw someone, uh, 
who later messaged me on Baker City, but driving down the street and just kind of staring at me, but like in that way where it's like I know it is just kind of like um the move the the eighties the movie where the woman gets out of the pool and it's like bom, slow motion. <laughs> oh yeah. No, it's oh, the other one. Bom, bom. It's not that. I mean yeah. there's I don't know about the movie you're talking about, but like any James Bond movie has the slow motion. Yes. Like, yeah. But yeah, it was like, kind of, I, just me walking at normal pace down the street, but in slow motion um, <laughs> where I am just so unusual. But this was positive attention. Yes. yes. Yeah. But it was just, I mean, so obvious. And then they messaged me on Baker City saying, I saw you walking down Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm like, yes, I saw you. <laughs> I saw you. I, I saw, you, I saw you seeing me. <laughs> Causing a traffic jam. The funny part is, in my head, I'm watching Trevor walking down the street very normally and then pass, you know, like flashing over to the other guy's point of view where you're running like Pamela Anderson uh-huh. in Baywatch. No, it's more, I think it's more like the slow mo Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they're going to kick butt. <laughs> I just see in my head, it was the the shot of the guy in his car mm-hmm. looking through the passenger window as he's driving and then just like crashes into a telephone <laughs> pole because he's not watching. Where I mean, honestly, but, honestly, but if Fat Boys had any idea the power you have over us, <laughs> it would, it's embarrassing. I will say for me, I feel like my life is more impact, impacted by my own sort of internalized toxic, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. than external, mm. right? Like I, I, I think it's a common thing for a lot of gay guys. Absolutely. Um, where like as a kid, I was frequently told like, you know, you're so effeminate, like it just kind of made to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was like 16 or 17, a teacher at my school was leaving who I'd had since elementary school. And we were all saying goodbye to him in woodworking shop. He was our woodworking teacher at the time. <laughs> I was the last person in the line to shake his hand as everyone's going out. And he stopped me. He stopped me from going out and he kneeled down. And he, he said to me, like, I just want you to know, like, I've watched you grown up. You know, I've watched you, you know, um, put away a lot of this softness that you used to have. And mm. like, mm. I can see the work you did. Oh. I'm proud of the man that you've become. Mm. And Well, I know. And listen to that. Like the words coming out of his mouth from his perspective are genuine mm. and positive. Yeah. They are positive and they're kind. But imagine how I heard that yeah. as a closeted 15 or 16 year old yeah. at the time. Thank God you butched up, kid. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> And so shit like that lives in my head. And very often, like I I find myself making the more masculine choices in a lot of things where it's not necessarily what I want or, you know, what would normally be my default. It's just, that's the way guys act. Yeah. And it's Mm -hmm. a huge part of Chub Chaser. It's a huge part of gay culture and a huge part of Chub Chaser culture that I talk about in my book. And yeah, yeah, it's very relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I did last night was I did a little deep dive into the the history of toxic masculinity and its uh-huh. origins and all that sort of fun, <laughs> fun stuff. Fun. <laughs> and it's interesting because the the role of toxic masculinity sort of came up in Victorian society. That's sort of like oh, I imagine our mm-hmm. anchors. And the whole point of it was really a way to keep men in wartime physical shape, right? Hmm. A lot of it was being able to defend your family mm. actually translated into defend the empire, right? That was a big part of it. Masculinity well, can rise to fight, hmm. right? And what's this, so what I find interesting is that masculine uh, toxic masculinity was never meant to serve the man. It was meant to serve the society, to drop man into a role where they would unquestioningly, stoically, 
march off to do battle with people they had nothing against and mm-hmm. kill them doing the or die themselves and in the process proving their manhood mm-hmm. achieving the next level of masculinity Following within orders. society and you can see in the way in American society Very we interesting. we revere soldiers mm-hmm. in the US still points putting them as the most masculine of masculine and even female soldiers are sort of accorded this sort of res- masculine respect in mm. mainstream society. It's very interesting because if you yeah. look at if you look at male society of the of the 17th and 18th centuries, it's so completely different. You're yeah. right. Very different. Like, you know, you have men in wigs, you have men in high heels, mm-hmm. you have men in stockings, you have men with you know who are who are wearing makeup mm-hmm. and that is manly. Yep. <laughs> and part they, of part of were, by the way, they were, then was beauty. Yes, and mm-hmm. they were very very upset when women started taking over the high heels shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, and because you know at that time women didn't show their legs, but men did and the high heels were a way of extending the leg. And <laughs> so it's this whole it, it's everything you've ever said Michael about beauty standards. It's mm-hmm. like what the fuck? And, you, and yeah, go. So but but my point is yeah, I'm just I'm just sort of echoing like you are right because when you get to the Victorian era and the 19th century that all disappears. Yep. And you know, we don't, in a lot of like our movies and stuff that we look at, we don't, it doesn't necessarily emphasize the exercise culture Mm -hmm. and the fitness culture of the time, but that that's when it started rising up. Well, fitness was defined as, you know, can you kill something? Can you go, can you go kill the, 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 the people in Africa for the Boer wars and all that stuff. And I feel like to see how it benefits society and not the person, like I can look at my dad, my dad was raised in the 1940s and 50s, um, and he has he always has kept very physically fit. It kept him um, aggressive and good for business and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But it also made it so that my father is an 80-year-old man who has only just now figured out how to have male friends <laughs> and not have whoever his, and I think a lot of people listening to this may, may know what I'm talking about, have only one woman in his life that is his sole emotional outlet, if any emotion at all exists mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. relationship. But like, you know, my dad is in, it has been incapable of connecting in a human way with anyone except the woman he is currently in a relationship Interesting. with. And that's part of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. They become the vessel for your emotions because you can't have them. Yeah. Which gives yeah. the woman a lot of power as well. And it is. I feel like, there are women who hand, who treat relationships as their one way to exercise power. Yeah. Um, not obviously not as a blanket yep. statement, but just that is a symptom of this toxic masculinity circle, yep. which is that I've seen this multiple times and this, it makes my skin crawl because I've been on the other side of it in gay relationships where there are women who use the fact that the man is there to serve them as a way of running the relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the ways you can see that, like, I think gay men have always been a little bit, not just like sexual rebels, but gender rebels. And I think most gay men that I've known in my lifetime have a little bit more connection to their emotional self. They do. Than gay men, than but, straight men. But as you put that together with the culture of toxic masculinity, yeah. and I mean, every, every it's, man is concerned with what it means to be a man. Yes. Mm-hmm. And every gay man is that squared. Yeah, because you're told that your your basic sexuality makes you unmanly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you need a way to fit that to come to to put that into accord mm-hmm. with the world. Given that you <laughs> that you're not one of the basic definitions of men is that you know they have sex with women. 
Like if that's your starting point, then where does that leave gay men? Right. Well, um, so I'm glad we've resolved this issue today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have cured toxic masculinity. Good hey. job, everyone. Check. Next uh, up, COVID. Do we have yes. a tip? We do. Um, so I saw this list of um, body positive books for kids. It's kind of like a back to school thing, which mm-hmm. I thought was a very nice little list. Um, and it is, um, there's five books. And I don't know if you have a kid in your life um, or maybe a teacher check out one of these books. Um, I, th- I like there's, um, there's one called what I like about me. There's another one called her body can, um, love your body. I just think it's great. I and think they're it's not never... all size related too. Yeah. Which I appreciated because there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of racism issues tied up in body image as well. Yeah. Um, so like the one that actually was like, Oh, of course people, kids need to read books like this was one that's, is eyes that kiss in the corners mm. um, and the young girl is Asian and in the book. And I was like, man, I, I would, I young Michael needed to have read that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just as a, I don't know, like my, my as family a white, as a white boy. Yeah. Just like my family wasn't overtly racist about anything. I mean, we all have our just sort of intrinsic whatever's that you have to get over and figure out. But if I had seen that as a kid, like you start that so much earlier. That'd yeah. be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as our bit today, um, since we were talking about toxic masculinity and how to be a man, <laughs> I figured maybe uh, try something a little different. And I brought in lyrics from different songs that are instructional on manhood. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, oh, dear. And I'm curious if any of you can identify these songs. This is my living nightmare bit because I would never have identified any of these. So I'm just going to dump this crap on you guys. Oh, well, and you know, my, gonna be bad my knowledge this. of pop culture is, is epic. Well, all of these <laughs> all of these are really freaking famous songs. So. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm going to know one of them. Yeah. Um, one of the four is the only one of the four I cannot sing for you. And I will warn you that I'm going to admit, omit the occasional line that states the title of the song in the lyrics. Okay. 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 So here's the first one. Man thinks about our little bitty baby girls and our baby boys. Man made them happy because man made them toys. And after man make everything, everything he can, you know that man makes money to buy from other man. I have no idea. I have no clue. But that sounds really, really weird spoken. I can kind of see how that would sound different as lyrics, but that sounds really weird, like caveman style weird. Mm. I'm going to tell since nobody has a guess, I'm going to tell you the artist and then see if you can guess the song. (laughs) The artist is James Brown. Oh, all right. Oh, I've heard of James Brown. Okay. The song (laughs) is, it's a man's man's world. Okay. It's a man's man's world. Yeah. Um, All right. To have the kind of body always in demand, jogging in the mornings, go man, go workouts in the health spa, muscles grow. You can best believe me. Name of the song. Glad he took you down with anyone you can. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> macho, macho, man. Oh. Uh, village people, <laughs> instructions on how to be a man right there. Ah, fun stuff. Okay. Well, what I like about that is it's, it, I think they mean that ironically because. I hope they do. Well, because they're examining it. They're, they're yeah. not. Yeah. Next one. Clean shirt, new shoes, and I don't know where I'm going to. Silk suit, black tie. I don't need a reason why. They come running just as fast as they can, because every girl's crazy. For about a, a sharp dressed man. Yes, there you go. 
Extra uh, points if you know the group. I can hear the song in my head because there's a 30 Rock joke about <laughs> 80s montages where they use that song. And she's like, I don't need the montage. But I don't ZZ know this. ZZ Top. ZZ there Top. Yes. Yeah. All right. Here's, here's the big one. All right. Final one. The the name of the song is between every one of these lines. So <laughs> I'm leaving a lot out. Okay. Right. You must be swift as the coursing river with all the force of a great typhoon, with all the strength of a raging fire, mysterious as the dark side of the moon. It's it's the song from Mulan that I can't think of the name of, right? Yep. Oh, the person in the car is just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> But th- this is uh, this is the training montage. Yeah. Yes. This is when they're she- be a man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what is it? Be a man. You must be swift as the coursing river. Yeah. Is be, be a man. man. Yeah. Is it be a man? Yeah. <laughs> be a man from Mulan. It was interesting in that when I was going through all these lyrics for songs about manhood, these were pretty much the only ones I could find that in general were actually about you yourself as a man as opposed to your relationship with a woman. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. It was very interesting. Well, that's what I was saying before, that yep. that so many gay men struggle with masculinity because masculinity is defined as your relationship to a woman. Yep. yep. Mm. And it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting that these are the things that teach so many of us mm-hmm. what masculinity should be. So- what do you think masculinity should be? <laughs> I don't know, Trevor. Where can they tell us, Trevor? <laughs> Gotta do the music, Michael. Oh, shit, the music. Uh... <laughs> what the hell? What did you drop? Michael fell down. <laughs> that's He's fallen and he can't get up. That's the end of the... I think that's also the sound effect I use for dropping the Chubby Award. Yes. But anyway... We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on uh, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. And there's another one. Amazon. Amazon. Amazon Podcast. Pod Chaser. Five stars everywhere. Stitcher. <clears throat> Stitcher. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Yeah. We're, see the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> Maybe you're going to a big fat gay camp (laughs) and we are counselors. Oh, Oh, we're going to jump on the blob because that's a thing in the movie. Yeah. But oh no, I'm also jumping on the blob and you're on. So I'm going to fling you into the air. (laughs) Into the stratosphere. So So watch out. (laughs) 